Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Laura Vardulakis, lead UX researcher at Google Health. We talk to Laura about career transitions, ethics in technology development and the value of applied social science. Laura shares her path of becoming a UX researcher. Many of the turns that we take during our professional career, says Laura, are leaps of faith. Having discovered her interest in human-computer interaction when the field itself was only in the process of becoming, means that she often had to believe to have the needed expertise and create her own professional goals. We ask Laura how did she come to make her choices? What does she consider to be the conditions for a cohesive cross-functional team to be successful? And what to take into consideration when transitioning to industry from a more theoretical workplace? At last, we asked Laura about her view of the future in the field of machine learning and what should we be prepared for. We hope you enjoy it. Um, hi friends, we are here today with Laura Vardulakis. Hi Laura! Hello! <laughs> Uh, Laura, just to kind of like dive right into it, can you tell me and our listeners a little bit more about you? What 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 has been your um, path so far in this world? Sure. Um, so currently, I am a user experience researcher at Google, and um, if I go like way way back, I was entering college in the nineties. And I didn't really know much about the dot-com boom, but from what I could tell, it seemed pretty cool. Uh, I didn't have a lot of experience with computers. You know, most of my interaction with computers was playing, you know, really simple computer games. Most of my interaction with the internet at that point was during the summers, we would work at a local college to get online in order to do research to prepare for um, my participation on the debate team in high school. So we could get on, you know, dial up internet for like 30 minutes to an hour each day, I think. So we would spend a lot of days there. Um, and, you know, I'm from the Midwest and I went to this small liberal arts college in South Dakota. Uh, and I decided to major in computer science for not really any strong reason other than it seemed pretty cool. Um, it seemed like the most fun to me out of all the options, you know, so I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I didn't really know anything, but I'll, I'll do it. So um, I think the, the thing that I'm really thankful for is that I went to a school where really no one else knew anything about computer science. You know, I didn't know how to program. I didn't know anything about hardware or theory. And thankfully, no one else did either. So that kind of put, a, put us all on this nice, like, even playing field. We were all kind of there to learn. That's what, we're, what we were doing. So um, I, I majored in computer science. Um, I had a really positive experience at this tiny, you know, liberal arts school. So I decided I wanted to become a professor. Um, before going to graduate school, I got a job at this medical software company. So I was working at this small software company in Minneapolis. And that's where I got to really see um, 
firsthand this notion of human computer interaction. So at that point, I really didn't know anything about human computer interaction or usability. Um, my training, you know, my, my school was really small. I didn't even have a, a class on this topic. So uh, it was there at this company where I would be at a hospital or I'd be at a clinic and I would see users, you know, people, doctors using our software. And I was like, oh, wow, like it's real. <laughs> it's real. There are, you know, there are things to consider that I never even really thought about before. Um, and so that was really exciting. And that was um, also really my first experience within the field of healthcare. I don't have any training in healthcare. Um, I don't have anyone in my family who's a doctor or anything like that. So um, it was there that I kind of saw a little bit about um, how um, healthcare works and a little bit about how technology works or doesn't work um, within our systems within the United States. Um, so after a while, I decided to go to graduate school um, and because I still wanted to become a professor. That was kind of still the end goal. And um, I went to graduate school at Northeastern University for computer science. And my focus area was on human computer interaction. Um, and so a lot of my work then, because um, I was still very interested in the clinical space and the healthcare space, um, was kind of designing and building and evaluating technologies um, within this space with an HCI lens to it. Um, so that was very exciting. Um, it was a long time. <laughs> and then throughout the journey, I decided, you know, I really don't want to become a professor. I think I'm going to do this industry thing instead. So right after I graduated, I came to Google and I've been at Google for the past, uh, six years or so. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about my background and how I got into this field. And how did you land in research or in user experience? Yeah, so that's a little interesting. You know, when when I when I graduated, um, I was kind of thinking to myself, uh, I don't really know much about industry. So you know, I had one internship during my time um, in my PhD, and that was at Microsoft Research which is a really special place. And that was very exciting. Um, and so I had this exposure to doing, you know, basic research in an industry setting. Uh, and that was very eye opening, really, really exciting. Um, and I think, you know, if I think about, you know, kind of the research labs that have been associated with um, companies in the past, um, there aren't that many of them. And Microsoft Research is still kind of like a really mm -hmm. special place. So um, I'm thinking about, you know, where I want to go and geographic considerations and all this kind of stuff. And do I want to go work at a hospital, like as a research scientist, or do I want to go full high tech? So I decided I wanted to go full high tech. I thought um, that experience would be something that I could learn a lot from, something that I didn't really have. And then I could always go back to healthcare if I wanted to. So when I was looking at companies, you know, where to apply, um, it seemed like, it seemed, I didn't know, but it seemed like user experience research was like kind of the closest match to the HCI field that I was familiar with. Um, 
But I was a little scared about that because I don't have a background in design. Uh, don't know anything really about design. Um, so usually, you know, UX teams are part of a design team, a larger design team. And um, that was pretty intimidating to me. I'm like, is this the right fit? I don't know. So um, I talked to the, the only way that I could answer this was to really talk to people in that role. So I talked to a handful of people in that role. And I'm like, is this the right role? And they're like, yeah, go for it. So <laughs> I did, you know, yeah. kind of just like a leap of faith and it, it worked out. And I think it was the right role. Um, um, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a really different role, you know, um, it's different than doing kind of theoretical work. Um, but it's, it's, it was a very nice jump. Um, and, and it worked out. Yeah. Well, looking back can you, can you think, take me through some of the things that made it work? Yeah, I think um, for me, what made it work is I started on like a really supportive team. You know, I started on a team and kind of the the trust that I got that you know what you're doing and you're the expert here, um, whether or not I felt like it. I was, I was the expert and I like, I should know what I was doing. So I got a lot of trust. I think that helped a lot. Um, being on a supportive team helped a lot. Um, beyond that, it was mostly just, you know, self motivation to do a really good job. So yeah. I, you know, I, I really, really wanted to have that work out and to do, um, good work for my team. And, and so I, I was just highly motivated to learn. And I think, um, what's great is, uh, you know, finding people in your role at your company who you can have as, you know, mentors and be able to talk to and be like, I don't understand this thing. Can I safely talk to you about how it should work or how I should do it or how it should work with stakeholders or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, that was really, really critical for me. I mean, I would not have been able to kind of figured out on my own. So um, I, I, I definitely learned, I, I, how do you say it? I uh, leaned heavily on uh, many, many of my coworkers. Yeah. And, and were they uh, teams that had previous experience working with scientists or um, would you say that also was kind of a factor or... Yeah, that was definitely, definitely a factor. Just trying to understand how to best work within, um, within this like cross functional team environment, because that's such a huge shift from going from academic work into industry work. At least if you think about, um, especially going, um, from more theoretical work to um, what I've been doing at Google, which is very much tied to like product yeah. work. So if you're trying to, you know, launch a product with hopefully a goal to, you know, improve people's lives in some way, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's, you know, email or whether it's something else. Um, there is a very, very important, you know, um, aspect of cross-functional team you know, cohesion and, um, effort that I, I didn't know how to do it, you know, cause you tend to work in, you tend to work kind of on your own in academia. So mm-hmm. knowing how to understand what the team cared about, what the business cared about all, you know, all stakeholders, um, in order to like do work that mattered rather than just do interesting work on the face of it. Uh, yeah. you know, it, was, it was a yeah. big change. Yeah. And, and, um, 
I wanted to ask you because one of, one of the topics that we we kind of try to explore and, and hopefully deconstruct on the podcast is how do you integrate an ethical perspective into technology development? And you know yeah. how 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 do you do that as a as a researcher coming from a scientific background? Um, and I, I normally ask these questions to anthropologists, but um, I'm very looking forward to um, to understand your perspective on it. Definitely. So I think um, that obviously the topic is really tricky. So just in general, um, you know, when we think about user research, there are clear, you know, ethical guidelines that we, we all need to follow in this field. And I think they stem from, you know, years of guidelines around um, human subjects research in, in general. So I think it's, uh, it's an, that was pretty easy transition. So people who have come from the academic world where you're really following, you know, strict IRB approvals and understanding mm -hmm. what is okay and what's not okay, um, um, tend to find that transition into industry um, pretty natural because there really aren't a lot of differences when you think about it from that perspective. Uh, from my current work, you know, we're thinking about uh, AI uh, and, you know, applications of artificial intelligence and um, how ethics comes into play there. So, you know, if we think about If we think about AI, there are lots of different um, techniques that fall under the umbrella of AI. Um, and when we think about machine learning, which is an area that I work on, there are lots of different types of machine learning, you know, that fall under that umbrella. So it's not really one thing. Um, but just to give an example, um, so if we think about something called supervised learning, That's where instead of a computer being kind of explicitly programmed with a set of rules, um, the computer instead learns from examples. So a person can create a computer model where we give a bunch of, you know, let's say we give a bunch of pictures to it and we tell it whether each picture is of a dog or a cat. Um, and when you give it enough examples, um, there'll become a point where you can give the computer model a picture and you don't tell it um, and it will spit out a prediction whether it thinks that picture is of a dog or a cat and, you know, it has some confidence interval around that prediction. So that's kind of the general sense of supervised learning. Um, and some members of our team recently published a article um, in the Annals of Internal Medicine called um, Ensuring Fairness in Machine Learning to Advance Health Equity. Um, and this is a paper that I would encourage you know listeners to check out. It's really an active area of research um, and something that's really important to the field of AI, no matter the domain that you're in. Um, but it, it, you know, it definitely feels even more important when you think about um, healthcare and, and medicine. So there are actually two recent papers from our group that I would um, encourage listeners to check out. One is, um, is this paper in the Annals of Maternal Medicine about um, health equity um, when it comes to machine learning. And another one was a kind of review paper um, in the New England Journal of Medicine called Machine Learning in Medicine. So it kind of talks about the applications of machine learning to medicine and um, thinking about the ethics within that space. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, it's, it's really complicated and yeah. uh, really important, really, really important. Because if you think about 
how machine learning works, you know, it learns based on data. And all data sets are biased in some ways. So it's a matter of understanding how they're biased. And then it's a matter of at various stages of building that model, designing the model, um, evaluating the model, there are different techniques you can do and apply in order to um, improve kind of the equity of your your work rather than um, kind of just sitting back and blindly um, perhaps exacerbating health disparities if your if your data is based on something related to health disparities, which it may be. Yeah. So um, has that process also, um, I don't know, done something to you as well? Like just to give you an example, ever since I started working in technology as an anthropologist, ethics has been at the forefront of my mind much more than in um, other types of projects. And I, I kind of discovered myself that I've started to kind of like consciously think about this a lot of times. Um, that has made me also to kind of think about my own uh, sense of ethics and my own biases. And it's it kind of, yeah, I, maybe it's a very poorly phrased question, but has this type of work made you reflect in one way or another about how you're constructed as a person to deal with ethics? Oh, wow. That's a really big question. <laughs> I, I want to naturally say yes. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure I've thought about it exactly in that same way. Um, I've kind of just, I guess I've gone into my work, um, you know, in industry with the assumption that that will be that topic will be at the forefront mm-hmm. that, that that's never really going to go away that's always something that has to be considered reconsidered considered reconsidered mm-hmm. reconsidered again and again in this other way in this other way okay we've got now this new tech okay how do we consider it again so i think i've just you know kind of thought of myself or my work as um is as, as something like that's that's just always going to be there always going to be there and it's um, always going to be really messy. So um, that's part of the reason why we're just going to be kind of always reevaluating yeah. um, how to work with the space. Yeah. I wonder how do you do this uh, reevaluation in a collective? Because I, I would assume that there's not just one person that, um, you know, does it in themselves, but it's, it's a process um, that you work it through in a team, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are there are processes. And I think this this doesn't just span um, people doing um, kind of user research. Mm -hmm. It also spans like people doing technical research. It spans, you know, it spans really everyone who's thinking about building a product, whether they're a designer, researcher, engineer, product manager, it really doesn't matter. So um, I think we have several different processes for kind of reevaluating this. Um, We have internal trainings that we give to especially user researchers, anyone doing user research, doesn't matter actually if you're a user researcher. And that's constantly updated with um, kind of new things that we must consider when it comes to how we conduct our research how we um, think about the ethics of our work and how it relates to our product. Um, And then again, like I mentioned on the technical side, this is really, really active area of basic research, especially in the field of AI. Um, And so there are several kind of streams of work 
that people can follow in the the academically published literature on this space, um, and that's that's really important. Yeah, and you you were mentioning at the beginning that you work in quite multidisciplinary teams, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Does it ever happen that you've experienced um, having to debate or discuss amongst yourself certain types of decision and kind of um, yeah? Uh, um, reach uh, co- joint conclusions regarding an act being ethical or not ethical or or gray. Uh, I don't. So definitely, we discuss and debate and need to make decisions on a daily basis, cross functionally. Yeah. Um, I think those ethical decisions are are probably not as common you know we you also don't necessarily want a small group on its own making decisions so often these decisions kind of trickle up trickle down um they evolve over time um but i've definitely i can't think of an example um where you know me and a couple of other people were like making the decision is yeah. this ethical or not on our own yeah yeah so you you do it in a larger group uh right not in a, a small project it, team uh, definitely or we may we may on the ground be coming up with the question that we want to bring to an expert or a different committee or a different group within the company. And there may be several of these groups that we're, and we're going to consider a handful of them as, you know, the decision makers for what we should or shouldn't do. Nice. And, um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you, do you have any social scientists or have you worked with any social scientists in this multidisciplinary teams? De- definitely. Um, so even within um, the user research um, role at Google, it you know draws people from many, many different backgrounds. Um, and so um, several of the social science fields are probably the stronger backgrounds of folks in this field. So most of the user researchers that I collaborate with and work with um, have backgrounds in social science. I'm kind of the weirdo. (laughs) So uh, how have you experienced working with social scientists? Can you can you share a little bit about that? Um, sure. Uh, I don't know that there's anything, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would be able to, you know, if let's say you gave me a bunch of user research plans or you know, study plans or reports that I would be able to be like, haha, I picked out the one from the social scientists. <laughs> um, you know, we all are pretty much kind of on the, the same page for how we think about our research and how we work in our product teams. So, um, yeah, we, we all uh, kind of bring our different perspective. But at the end of the day, we have, um, you know, really common goals and, and how we conduct our work. So, so yeah, I don't know that I could uh, even, you know, characterize the quote-unquote social scientists rather yeah. than the, the non-social scientists. Oh, so you you don't kind of discuss uh, each other's backgrounds or um, how you came into this field or? Yeah, we definitely do. We definitely do. But I'm not sure that I would say, um, yeah, that I've seen, you know, huge differences in how we approach our work necessarily. So like 
our work and how we do our work and how we integrate with our teams um, is pretty similar. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, more similar, I think, than you would you would imagine. Yeah, that's um, it's 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 interesting to hear because uh, I most of the stories that I hear for social scientists working in technology um, talk about. I think, but maybe it's it's more about transitioning from academia to industry rather than from a specific field to another. So maybe once you once you kind of land in the um, under the category of a UX researcher, things kind of tend to normalize and in that domain. I think so. Yeah, yeah I would. I think so. Who have you yourself had any uh, contact with social science or any um, interest in it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when I think about my background in um, HCI, HCI is this like really beautiful field where sometimes it's attached to a computer science department. Sometimes it's attached to an information science department. Sometimes it's its own, it's its own like institute within a, a you know, university. And sometimes it has more social science, mm-hmm. uh, kind of lens and other times it doesn't. So I, being a part of a field like that, that's so big um, and encompasses so many different backgrounds, you know, some sometimes work in this area is very design focused. Sometimes it's very, very technical. And so I think that's been um, kind of my lens at which I view both, you know, human computer interaction and, you know, in the industry field, kind of user research is this nice blending of Mm. these back. So if you go to, if you, you know, if you go to the major conferences in this area, if you read kind of the major proceedings in this area, you'll see just such a wide variety of approaches. Um, and to, for me, at least, you know, doing my graduate work, you, you kind of have to learn various lenses mm-hmm. of, of the field. So um, it's, at least for me in my role, you know, it was pretty hard to not come out without having a really good background in just, you know, interview design, yeah. you know, design a semi-structured interview, something like that. And that's something, you know, very, very naturally, you know, falls in the social science field or even things that stem a lot from um, psychology research. So like study designs, whether they're experimental or not, um, those types of things, you know, really naturally um, fall as part of the training that you get within HCI, which I think is so beautiful. So um, no matter whether it was kind of within a computer science department or not, um, you, you kind of get this for free. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's why, you know, people from all these various different backgrounds working in user research and industry, at least, um, can be like, yep, we get each other yeah. uh, because it's such a nice blend. At least for me, you know, the training, um, was such a nice blend yeah. of all these things. So maybe that also aided in that transition, right, from the academic to the um, to the business to the business side to the industry. De- definitely, definitely. I think you know there's such a wide variety mm. of methods. You know, there isn't really ever one right method, and so being able to really draw on all of your training and understand, you know, okay, what method might I use for this particular problem is kind of you know the key to every 
you know, bit of success within user research and industry. Um, so yeah, having that kind of wide range of experience and knowing when to go to one expert versus another to help you with a, a method that you may or may not have um, deep experience with um, is, is, you know, important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I think segues very well into my next question, which is what advice would you give um, somebody that wants to make that transition uh, from academia to, let's say, the space that you are in right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, I think the, at least for me, it was a pretty big transition. Um, you know, it, it was natural. It was something that I wanted, um, but it was also really different. So um, for me, you know, some of the big differences were, um, you know, kind of uh, timelines to do a piece of work, uh, you know, in academic, uh, academic work, you know, the time pressure, it, it does exist, um, but it's kind of your own time pressure. Um, the horizons are just much longer though. So things, you know, they move naturally a lot slower um, than they do in industry. Um, so I remember kind of the, the very first study that I ran at Google, it was, um, 10 study participants and each of the sessions were an hour long. Um, and, you know, I spent kind of a whole week kind of running these study sessions and then that ended on Friday and then Monday I came in and uh, my PM was like, okay, do you have that report for the study? Like what, what, what are the results? Um, and okay, looking back, you know, clearly this PM didn't have a lot of experience working with these researcher, but I didn't know that. And I also didn't have a lot of experience doing studies like this in, in, in industry. So I kind of was like, oh my gosh, I have to, you know, get this, get this together. And I spent a whole week um, working on it. And I also didn't have all those kind of tips and tricks for um, how to work faster. Um, so I was kind of using my own slow methods. So I went back to all my recordings and I hand transcribed every single one. You know, just that takes a lot, you know, a lot of time. And then I did this full analysis across all of our research questions. And I put together this big rapport with video clips that it's worked so hard. And, um, you know, it was a nearly impossible task to do all of those things myself mm. using really slow methods. Um, so I think kind of being very flexible and leaning on others to kind of help you understand new ways of working faster. So for example, I should have had a note taker for each and every one of those sessions. I should have had a really nice worksheet um, with the key questions that any stakeholder who walked into the observation room could have filled out. And um, at the end of the day, we could have, you know, started our analysis and, you know, been iteratively building the analysis to our research questions to make delivering that final report so much easier and, you know, really much less time to have, you know, have it 75% of the, the way there um, based on the assistance of stakeholders who would have participated in the research and been observing the sessions. Um, so that's one example is just kind of the time expectation kind of forces you to really think creatively and work in much different ways than you would if you are completely on your own, doing your own work on your own time and thinking more deeply about things um, in, in academic. Mm. Um, other other things are really different too. Like, 
like funding, you know, um, and, and in industry, a lot of times you just have more funding at your disposal to do things quicker than you could in academia. And that's really exciting. Um, I think, you know, advice to, to others, it's more a matter of really figuring out what type of role you want and what type of role the company needs. So it, it, this varies wildly. So um, the company might need a role really related to basic science or even, you know, applied research. Um, and they might have this goal of, you know, advancing world knowledge and publishing research findings or publishing data mm-hmm. in order to kind of advance, uh, advance the state of the art in this area in the world. Um, and so that's a pretty, that's kind of no different than things might be in the academic world, except maybe you're going to have more funding. Um, or there could be really explicit role to kind of, you know, design, build and evaluate new products that are meant to improve people's lives. And I think those hats are pretty different. So kind of knowing if you want to be on a, product team or if you want to be more on a basic or applied research team um, is probably one of the most important um, things to figure out for yourself and what you want in your life. And, And that goes on the flip side too. So like companies, you know, building out roles for scientists, they could either be in this more, um, uh, basic research field, or it could be on, on product teams. Mm. So knowing, knowing what's needed, um, is important to clarify. Yeah. Yeah. And and how do you figure that out for yourself? Yeah, that, so that's hard. I mean, that's like a huge leap of faith. You kind of, you know, if you're in one world and you want to try out the other world, um, that requires either like massive jumps and leaps of faith or it requires being in a place where you can kind of dip your toes in the water. Um, and so hopefully, you know, one would be at a place where you have the flexibility to kind of dip your toes in the water and, and try out what it's like to work, um, on a product team or on a research Mm -hmm. team. So I think, I think that's really important is to, to try, um, but you know, it may be a huge, huge leap of faith. Yeah. And, and what, what's next for you, Laura? How, how are you kind of thinking through your, um, development in the future? Uh, yeah. So for me, it's a matter of, um, kind of always staying at the forefront of this field, like doing new work. Um, that's, what's really exciting for me working, uh, in kind of our healthcare efforts and our AI efforts. Um, both of them seem like really important topics, um, that we're going to be grappling with in the future. So, um, for me, it's just a matter of like constantly growing and, um, improving my you know, methods and my skills as, as a researcher and, um, you know, as a manager and, and lead in this area. Yeah. Do you, you know, speaking now, maybe a bit more broadly to AI and technology, do you have a particular point of view on the future on some challenges or exciting uh, things around the space? Um, I think if you look at the work that's coming out uh, in this space, it, it seems 
it seems like it's one that's going to be really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that can really, you know, hopefully improve the lives of many, many people. So I think I, I generally don't get out my crystal ball and make any other predictions about what's going to happen because who knows? Yeah. Um, but it does seem pretty clear to me that it's a very exciting, a yeah. very exciting time to be, yeah, yeah, do working you, in this space. Do you have also some concerns or? Um, I don't think so. You know, I, I feel pretty positive about the future in, in this space. That's kind of why, why I continue to work in it. So, um, it's obviously messy. Like you mentioned, it's, if it was easy, you know, we would have solved it 50 years ago. Um, but it's, it's something that's going to be really, really good. I think. Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's definitely a, a space full of excitement, right? And, um, and, um, there's a lot of interesting developments being done. One of the one of the things that 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 struck me, we we've had um, on the show um, an anthropologist working in health tech, Dania Glabau, and she's mm-hmm. particularly fascinated with the topic of AI. And she told me this story about it was a reflection that she made on on the concept of agency by sharing a story around um, a, um, a, a pacemaker that uh, that um, had an algorithm of artificial intelligence embedded in it. And then she was kind of asking, well. Imagine if the pacemaker actually decides, um, you know, how your heart is going to go on. And, and imagine, you know, like at the end of the day, this technology could be the one responsible for your life in, to an extent that it takes over your life. Like it removes somehow your agency of taking your own medical choices. That Having said that, in the current like patient-doctor dynamic, it's not like your agency as a patient has, is very strong. Um could be that it's not necessarily different. It's just that you remove that kind of doctor dynamic and replace it for machine. So it's not. A, there's, I don't have any question. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. It's kind of if I have to think about myself, like what type of concerns I I, I would have in this space would be with this this kind of dynamic of agency and power, um, and particularly in the health space and with artificial intelligence. That makes me really kind of you know, uh, go into kind of like a black mirror type of aside. <laughs> There's nothing I could say that would be of real use to anyone in this area. It's yeah. really hard to, you know, really, like I said, like get out your crystal ball and predict. Yeah. Uh, I am someone who like doesn't watch black mirror because I can't handle it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, you can definitely go down the scary route here. I'd rather not talk about it. I, yeah. I think, it's obviously something that we can't pretend doesn't exist. It exists. Yeah. Um, really strong considerations for how we should work. And, and that's not really different actually than, than a, a lot of other fields. Um, mm-hmm. it, our, our hairs tend to raise when it comes to healthcare, but um, yeah, I don't actually think, you know, there, yeah. there are lots of areas where tech in general and AI in general um, um, have really deep impacts on society and there are really, really strong ethical um, considerations to be made. So yeah, I prefer not to. Not no. to okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. It's, it's been, it's been really nice hearing you um, talk to your experience in this space, uh, which is, yeah, it's, it's an awesome space to be in right now. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.